Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today I have with me Bashir Gauss, if you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience. Hello, I'm Bashir Gauss. I am a Muslim American uh, game designer, writer, uh, cultural consultant, uh, now project manager in the tabletop RPG space. Been working in it for a few years. I'm really happy to be here. Great. Okay. Yeah. I You mentioned project management. We're totally going to talk about project management too. I'm adding that to the docket. Um, so you getting started, you said roughly, I believe in 2019. Um, tell, walk us through that. What did you get started doing? Um, I believe it was Itch, right? Yeah. So I started out making game, like making really small and relatively simple games on Itch. Um, I knew I know knew another designer, Erica Chappelle, through like a forum we're both on. We'd talked a bunch. I thought that making RPGs was really interesting and neat. And so I started, I made a couple of games on Itch. I put them up there. And in like late 2019, I went to Big Bad Con um, and like showed them off and got interested in like doing some freelance work in the industry. Um, that there I met a bunch of people like, Ajit George and Daniel Kwan and Pam Panzalan and more, and kind of from there got my first few freelance gigs in the industry. Um, I started working with um, Rowan Rook and Deckard, Grout Howitt writing for Spire, and uh, Kobold Press writing some stuff for their blogs. Um, and from there, like, uh, kind of continued expanding the sorts of things I was writing and doing. Super cool. Um, so for you producing some stuff and just slapping it on itch, like what, what was that initial conversation like? And you were just like, oh, I can just make stuff and just put it out there and people will look at it? Uh, yeah, like kind of. I I read a bunch of stuff other people had made on itch uh, at the time. So like I'd, I was listening to like the one shot podcast at that point and had heard, you know, a bunch of action, like a bunch of people playing games that were one shots of stuff on itch. Um, I would like listen to uh, actual plays on my commute and stuff like that. I'd read a bunch of er and played a bunch of Erica's games, uh, like um, I'm blanking on the name, abort, retry, fail, and stuff like that. So I'd kind of and like I'd tried Honey Heist, so I got the uh, basic idea of a one page game and thought this is really fun. I'd like to make something like this um, at the time and for like the first couple, the first year or two. Uh, where I was making stuff, I really didn't like the idea of having to do, like, any graphic design or layout. So, like, I had a logo I used for everything uh, that I'd just gotten done from, like, uh, someone I know knew who did calligraphy and just refused to do any layout design at all and just had these unformatted one-pagers or short games up on it. Um, which, considering my complete refusal to really do advertising or promotion or layout or art uh, did surprisingly well. Um, but mostly they were like portfolio pieces in practical terms. Like I, I could show them to people and go, I do know what I'm doing. I can design a game. I can do freelance work without like coast, uh, turning in something completely unusable. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, um, I guess that's the first that's the first big hurdle for most people. And that's why I really like Storytelling Collective um, and its programs and stuff like that, because it gets people some sort of structure to follow because most people are kind of like that. Did you have like a structure in place or somebody that um, you sort of emulated or like a guide or a tutorial? You don't have to remember specifically what, but... Uh, no. 
Um, most of my early stuff was very disorganized. I'd run it by some friends and uh like or most of my early independent stuff was fairly disorganized. I'd run it by some friends and go like, is this good? Does it play okay? Okay, it's going up. It's published now. Um most of my freelance stuff, uh, early freelance stuff, I would study other things that company had put out. Um, so I would either like ask for, Hey, do you have some books I can look at or whatever? Or I'd look up what they'd had publicly online and obsessively read uh, a few of those for like a couple of weeks and then work to make something in that style, um, for what I was writing for them. So like my freelance stuff, very much my guideline for all of those was what has the person I'm writing for put out before? What do they seem to like? Um, but for my independent stuff. God, no. I would have been much more successful as an independent designer if I had actually put some structure and uh, art into my work. Yeah. And that, that's a that's a barrier for a lot of indies, though, is like, because it costs money for the most part, unless you want to do the layout yourself. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was just having this conversation with Alex Cliffinger, and like he was showing me, so we're going to, we're co-creating something, and um, he was showing me what he had so far, and uh, just kind of introducing me to what he was doing. Um, with the year zero system and um he opened up a word document and i was just like what the fuck are you doing like you you formatted this in word and he was he was like it's all i had and i've been in this for years i, I know everything about word i can create whatever i want <laughs> yeah um that's how it is sometimes <laughs> um yeah uh that's yeah, that's very much like where a bunch of people end up. There are a few people I know who are kind of all in one shops or like they've learned to do art in their style that's recognizable to them and they've figured out layout and they've also figured out writing and game design and I am forever kind of in awe of them because that is genuinely really impressive. But uh, managing to get that early art is like managing to get that early art and layout is a big thing for new designers. There are now like pretty good tutorials of like basic things you can do to make your layout a little better. Um, which I do, I don't re remember them off the top of my head, but they're the sorts of things I'd recommend looking for if you're trying to get into this for the first time and you're planning to make something independent. There's a, there's, I know that on DM Skill, there is, if you're making something for 5e, for instance, DM Skill does have that just, hey, use this Microsoft Word template, um, which is, I guess, how people did it, like, back in 2017, 2016, when there was nothing else, and nobody knew, I don't even know if InDesign was out, but nobody well, there knew was, how to use it. For 5e stuff in particular, there was also Homebrewery, which, like, has oh, a bunch yeah. of the markdown stuff to make stuff look 5e built into it and that's pretty decent like before i really did game like uh independent game design i had made a i had taken a one shot that i'd run for my friends and like kind of put it up did it up in um home brewery so it would look better um there you you'll run into some weird formatting issues with home brewery and that like Part of it is figuring out how to do basic markdown and it will ruin your PDF upload if you're slightly wrong or if you um, if you like your export settings are a bit off. But um, it's surprisingly useful if you're looking for something basic that looks like a D&D &D 5e product. Right. Yeah. I yeah, I guess you're right. The first the first like homebrew type stuff that I saw that looked professional was done with homebrewery. So that must have been. 
2015 to 2018 when I was only looking at stuff um, mm-hmm. and I was not even playing 5e at that point. I was just like glancing at stuff. Um, yeah, my my journey to 5e is kind of unusual, um, but but yeah, or, or tabletop games in general, I should say. But um, yeah, it, it is nice to have like, especially now um, with more resources available um for for a lot of people to get started i think that's really it really was a key thing missing from the ecosystem for a while because it the the less ivory towers that we have um within the industry the better things are because then it's more accessible for people to actually get seen with their work because that's really the biggest barrier for most junior designers is like have you put out something okay does this look appealing enough for me to actually read it or is this just kind of like a a blog post <laughs> or like something uh, someone posted on like a forum um back in the day you know so yeah. um so big bad con let's talk about big bad con well when was your first big bad con um what was it like for you and um what'd you get out of it um so my first big bad con was 2019 um and like that's the one that launched my career where i met like everyone i knew in the industry for the first like a year or so of getting into it and every because the pandemic started like four months later uh everyone i in the industry i would meet in person until like 2022 um so it was pretty huge for me it's a thing i recommend to basically anyone who's interested in getting into it from an indie design perspective uh like their bipoc uh dinner and meet and greet are huge for getting people into the industry especially from uh underserved communities uh, are underrepresented communities. Uh, they've got scholarships to bring people in that you can apply for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I didn't use like I didn't really know about those when I first went. I just knew like it was local. Uh, I think Daniel Kwan had posted about it on Twitter or something and saying like, "Hey, there's going to be some BIPOC stuff here. Check it out." Um, and I was like, "Cool, I want to check that out." And went in, and it was like confusing and cool and interesting i ran a couple games of the thing i developed at the time um it was never yours which was kind of out robbing the british museum um and had a good like had a good time with that played some games other people had developed uh and but the most valuable thing was i think just being at a the dedicated like meet and greet stuff and the dinner and meeting people there but b just being in the lobby hanging out i was trying to catch up on writing uh just kind of stuff i was writing on my personal time nothing professional um but i I met a bunch of people there had conversations it was really cool i think LobbyCon is where i first met pam who's like one of my best friends in the industry now um and uh the dinners where i met like uh, where i met ajit and got uh like and learned about the mentorship program he was doing stuff like that um and those contacts are really like it was word of mouth from that that got me my first freelance uh gigs um for spire shadow operations this adventure book for spire grant how it looked for like looked for people from those programs who were looking for freelance gigs and um i got in i then got to write for spire from that um and then my first work for Cobalt Press, I got on recommendation from Ajit um, to like to the team. They asked like, hey, what have you done so far? Sent them some stuff I'd already made. They were impressed enough that they commissioned my first their my first article series for them, Tools of War, which I think is probably one of the better like article style like series I've made 
uh, on anything. It's kind of about like handling large numbers of entities at the table gracefully and quickly. So like stuff like minion rules or simplifying NPC companions and stuff like that. Um, which th- those really launched my careers and everything kind of spiraled out from there. I then had a reputation. Um, oh, Sea of Legends, which was a board game coming out at the time. I started writing on that from recommendations from Big Bad Con. So like, that's the sort of thing that really kicked me off. I can, I owe my career as a writer to Big Bad Con 2019. Gotcha. That's, that's incredible. You wrote on Spire? Uh, yeah, so I wrote for Shadow Operations, which was an adventure book. Uh-huh. I wrote a full chapter for Sin, which was one of their, um, which was the one of their big setting expansions on the city. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have hard on my shelf. I was. I. I haven't gotten uh, Spire, but I've been meaning to. I played Heart, um, and I've been meaning to play Spire as well. Uh, it's. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating game. Um, it's one of those games where it's like, okay, so the subject matter is intentionally terrible, but everyone who agrees to play the game understands that. So as long as everyone <laughs> understands that and then also is consenting and then also you don't end up getting into a weird position where you're like, I don't know, there's, it talks about race. So yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure I would want to necessarily, I I don't think I would want to run Spire. I might run Heart, but I don't know if I'd want to run Spire as a pro GM with strangers. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, as, with strangers, that would be real, like, very uh, hit or miss. Like, it could go very yeah. badly with strangers. Um, yeah. It's like, it's the sort of world building that I'm really interested in. And it's the sort of writing that I'm really interested in. Where, like, or it's got a really, po- like, pointed political point to make but also it's basically like it's really on board with being genre fiction yeah. uh, and it's like a, a lot of fun to work with for me yeah it's like and i've so i've read it and then i've read um heart and um you're absolutely right it's like one of those like really sort of catchy pulp novels that you might find in like the 90s or the early 2000s and like just really speaks to social issues but at the same time it's like got kind of a fantasy plot yeah damn it's so good i even if you don't play spire like you probably should read the book it's so good i i really like it but um damn i didn't know you wrote for that that's that's so cool um, I guess it's on your pin tweet. I'm staring at it right now. <laughs> I just, yeah. just skipped right over it because it's this well, it's the last line. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Okay. Um, damn, I would love to work with them at some point. Um, whenever this podcast comes out, if you hear this, uh, <laughs> uh, let, let me know. Let me know, Grant. Um, I'll write you. I'll write you some anti-capitalist shit. Um, so freelancing. Um, let's talk about like your normal routine now. You've You've had gigs uh, for our for our readers or listeners uh, who may not be familiar with Bashir um, has had gigs um, Journeys of Raid and Citadel, um, Call of the Nether Deep, his work with Cobalt Press, Starfinder, Aspire, um, Taldori Reborn, done some consulting, uh, things like that. So, what is your freelancing life like? And then how did it ramp up? So you probably started small and sort of built up momentum. Can we talk about that process? Yeah. So. Um... At the start, freelancing was basically about building a reputation as someone who can deliver quality content 
and deliver it like regularly. You're not going to like dip out on a contract, even if things go get rough. You're not going to um, deliver something that's unpublishable. You're going to deliver something that people want to read, etc. Like uh, that's kind of a big part of it. And then like building relationships with people, meeting people, and kind of the like the thing that's unfortunate but true is that like especially for freelancing your freelance gigs are gotten through who you know who recommends you when your name comes up in conversation who uh thinks that like oh i know this guy it will be worth reaching out to them occasionally you might get something like blindly reaching out on an application form or an open call but those are really unreliable and Almost everything I've gotten, and I think every single big thing on like my resume was because someone recommended me or because I had a pre-existing relationship from smaller freelancing work with someone uh, on like, so they brought me on for another project. So like the critical role stuff, I'd done some pretty minor cultural consulting for them and then I did larger cultural consulting for them and then I did cultural consulting on Netherdeep and Taldore Reborn, uh, or uh, yeah, on uh, Taldore Reborn, and then after that, I wrote like Marquette, like the outline for uh, the Hellcatch Valley in Marquette for Campaign Three, uh, which was huge and it was incredibly gratifying. But that was there because someone who knew me recommended me to the team when they were looking for a cultural consultant, and I did well enough in those early jobs that they wanted to keep me on for other things that they were working. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. that makes sort of sense. And I've I've heard this like by like B Dave who mentioned like, you know, that that's how all this stuff kind of comes up is really just in casual conversation and like, hey, we need someone to do this and someone would be like, "Hey, what about Bill? Oh, I had a bad experience with Bill." Well, how about Ted? Okay, Ted's cool. You know, bring Ted in. And that that's the entire conversation for recruiting. And that's kind of like, you know, that's how that's how you ended up on the vineyard to be honest. And that's like <laughs> Like me asking Kiano, it's like, hey, so I have this South Asian sort of inspired, uh, you know, sort of Asian inspired uh, thing going on. I know I'm not the right writer. Who would be the right writer for this? And Kiano was like, hey, just talk to Bashir. And I was like, I, Bashir's never going to fucking see this message as I was like sending you this <laughs> message. Um, but yeah, you responded. So it was cool. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically like 90% of um, most people on the project if i didn't like just cold email them um and that was me like coax people in or like tempt them in with like the pitch um so i think for the most part it's really i don't know i think um the longer that i'm in the industry as a, a project manager as a lead um i'm really starting to understand like um what sort of people i work best with um the more work that i do and um I want to just make sure that I continue to work with people that I work well with because that's that's essentially what, in my opinion, in my view of like these different industries that I've worked with, like you can like you can really like someone as a person, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you work well with them. And that's been true of every job I've ever had. So mm-hmm. um, whenever I work with new people and I'm like, okay, well, um, they did pretty good work. But it wasn't like amazing work. And also, um, we didn't just get along or we just didn't vibe well. So then I'm going to choose to try and work with somebody that I just vibe and better have a better time with. Because at the end of the day, I think we're we're making games. So like, I would like to 
I would like for all of the fucking, the immense weight of the freelancing stress to at least be relieved by the fact that I enjoy working with the people that are on my team, you know? Yeah, I'm like, even if you have like the best writer in the world, if they are the best freelancers in the world, if they are difficult to work with or they make the job more stressful, that's not necessarily worth, that's not necessarily worth it. You might just be better off having someone where like, you're going to get something pretty solid and they're going to be pleasant to work with. Um, and like, they're going to be pretty solid. They're going to be pleasant to work with. You're going to get your stuff done basically on time or like in the way you want to. And if you have to spend a little longer editing it down, that's probably fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, so you, uh, now that you're juggling freelancing and stuff like that for you, when you first started out, were you just getting like, um, a gig here and there, maybe like one or two a month. And then you were still working your old job. How did that go for you? Like as far as scaling up? Yeah. So I was working uh, a couple gigs at a time, generally like two gigs at a time uh, while still working my old job. And then uh, eventually when I was reliably having like three or four gigs at a time, I decided to quit my old job and like all the time that would have been spent at my old job, like all the time that between what I'm writing and what would be full time, I would spend either looking for additional gigs or writing independent stuff to go up and writing independent projects that would hopefully be finished at some point and uh, get uh, go up. That's kind of where I started putting together the seeds of what became Guns Blazing. That's where I started writing on all the other stuff I've put up on Itch in various places, uh, various like mentorship program, like being a mentored in mentorship programs, stuff like that. Uh, all that became possible because I made that jump for full-time work. Um, and then, like, within a year, I was getting fairly large gigs. I think by late 2020 was when I started working on Spire Sin. And then, like, later that year, I got, like, December 2020, I got uh, picked up for Radiant Citadel. Uh, and then, like, Southland's World Book was somewhere in there. So fairly quick, like, fairly quickly, I was getting enough work to make full-time full trying to full-time this at least feasible even though it was a huge pay cut yeah and that's that's kind of what i was looking at as well when i was when i was looking so i started in the pro gm route before i started like actually doing a lot of design and after i was doing it part-time and also my full-time job and i was doing perhaps like a 20 hours of work um a week in addition to my full-time and then at that point it was like well in order to scale more I need to quit my job. And I was thinking, well, how do I do this? So only three months into it, I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for it. And it was that leap of faith. Um, if I was smart, I would have saved money, but uh, up to like having that safety net, but I didn't because I'm a leap first look second type of person. Um, so uh, if you if you tell me that it's very unlikely for me to succeed, I'm going to be like, yeah, bullshit, I'll fucking make it work. <laughs> like, I'll fucking do it. Um, but yeah, I did, I did end up going full time in like three months in pro jamming, mostly because it was like, um, I had, I think I had like a huge advantage as far as like um, understanding marketing and sales, which is uh, very, it was very important um, for filling games, um, especially when the market had very little marketing and sales training in it at the time mm -hmm. when I entered it. Um, which is why I ended up uh, sort of building my platform was because people were asking me for help and I was just lending more help for that. And like sort of the, the ocean tide was rising for everyone, which was really great. Um, but 
I think it was pretty scary at the time um, of me just like, I didn't even have that month's like rent. I didn't have that month's rent. Like, and I made the jump. I made the, I made the, the leap of faith to fill enough games in order to pay rent. Um, I do not recommend that to anyone, um, <laughs> but that's what I did. So uh, yeah, I, I, I know that feeling a little bit. And I, since I did that, um, I've made some mistakes as far as like overworking myself and like trying to do too much. Uh, but at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, ultimately, I just need to do more to make sure that I am personally good in my life in order to be recovered and do that much work because I love the job. I love the job. And as long as I don't work too much to get burned out, then it is even better than any other job that I've had, even though it, coming back full circle to what you said, even though it was a slight pay cut, um, mm -hmm. I much prefer it. Yeah, 100%. I was in a fairly fortunate situation in that like, in my previous job, I wasn't, I was living with family because I wasn't making enough to pay rent. And that meant that like, I wouldn't have to make pay rent with a job switch. I just had to talk with my folks about it and be like, yeah, I'm going to make, try and make this pivot. It's going to mean X, Y, and Z. Um, and once they like, once they were on board with it, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a huge personal risk to me of trying to do this. Um, but like, if I wasn't in that situation, I probably wouldn't have been able to make that jump. Like I straight up would not have been able to reliably make rent with what freelance was paying, especially before I started getting cultural consulting uh, gigs because like fundamentally people are much more willing to pay you to review their work than they are to make your own as a freelancer um and like definitely last year I got paid more for cultural consulting than I did for writing uh despite spending much more time writing uh this year the guns blazing kickstarter changes that math a bit but like just if you don't count the kickstarter and a bunch of that's going to go to like paying other people and getting the book printed and stuff. So I'm not going to be able to keep most of that money. Um, I'm still mostly feel. getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm still mostly being paid as a cultural consultant, like in practical terms, um, in terms of like what pays, what pays my bills. Um, I am a cultural consultant who spends most of his time writing. Um, uh, I would like to be a writer who spends some time cultural consulting on the side, yeah. But uh, that's just like, that's just kind of how the economics work out. Yeah, that's, that makes total sense. Um, like for me, consulting, um, so I'm $175 an hour I, for like ProGM business consulting, um, hmm. because I can take anybody who has like uh, any sort of knowledge and like follows my, you can, you can use my free material and get yourself to three or four games a week pretty easily. Scaling up beyond that, that's when you might want to hire me. So like, I feel like it's justified. $175 an hour because you only need one hour with me to get in a direction and then I can help you fill out like eight to 10 games a week and that you'll get paid back within the month like 10 times like I'm gonna I'm gonna double or triple your income if you just pay me $175 essentially as a pro GM and that's how like my consulting works for that reason the fact that I get less of those is fine because I put so much stuff out there for free. But like, I remember like a lot of the time before I started to put more hard limits on it, I had a bunch of people trying to hire me as like uh, $175 an hour for them not even being started yet. And I was just like, have you read my free articles? Have you, have you like watched my 
10 minutes of YouTube videos to get started, do that first. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, the the So the Kickstarter, let's, um, let's talk about Guns Blazing before we talk about like project management and stuff and we pivot. Um, are you excited to write off a ton on your taxes? <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's all that money you're paying out, you better fucking, uh, do you have an LLC? Yeah, I have an LLC. Okay, okay. I'm going to be writing off everything I can. Um, yeah. Freelancer taxes are brutal. Yeah. <laughs> you make less money to pay more in taxes. Yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, that gets really rough. Uh, yeah, I am I am going to be writing off as much as I feasibly can for Guns Blazing. Uh, because that's just brutal otherwise. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't... You know, now that I'm like looking back on it and like I'm thinking about um how did I make this work as far as like my situation and everything. So I made for my pro GMing, um, not including any other forms of income last year, uh last uh twenty twenty two, I made fifty two thousand for pro GMing. Um and I wrote off because I was paying people um for writing and other shit for my business, and then I was also paying for resources, assets um servers whatever like that i needed in order to run my business um for overhead um i pay i wrote off twenty five thousand for my mm -hmm. taxes and that was because i literally wrote off every fucking thing um that i possibly could that was used um so i probably overspent a little bit but as a result the government only took seven hundred dollars <laughs> so they only well and uh i i should uh, clarify they only taxed me enough to take $700 from my income because I wrote off so much. And I expect this year is probably going to be similar, especially with the Kickstarter. Like, uh, we did not raise enough to really have me, like, sitting on a Ferrari or anything. Like, I think I paid myself total um, $6,000 um, total for the whole thing. And that went to, like, debt <laughs> for me personally. Um, and then the rest is probably going to get written off as like income. And then I'm working this year to uh, sort of keep my runway open because um, I want to keep at least five to ten thousand dollars in the bank in case I have a personal emergency or something. But I'm only going to be commissioning work to finish the book in a segmented like uh, schedule to where I have that um, sort of uh, what, what do you call that? That windfall, that uh, that safety net. Because if I were to just spend all of it right now, then um, what happens if, you know, something occurs and then and then I'm fucking up shit's creek, which I have been before and I don't want to be there again, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear you. I budgeted like I budgeted pretty aggressively for guns blazing. Like I cut costs where I could uh, like we made enough on the Kickstarter that I'm going to be paying myself like a little. Um, but at $10,000, it was basically, I will get paid off the residuals once people are buying the book, and this will get the book, like, um, some basic free, like, some art, it'll get the book art, and, uh, what was it? I'll get the book, like, art, some editing, like, there'll be chunks of the book that won't be copy edited at 10000 uh, and, like, the stuff that I've promised to people will get done, and there'll be a print run. Um, yeah. whereas, like, where we got, which was about 18k, which after Kickstarter's fees and stuff means, like, 16k for me, after Kickstarter mm -hmm. and backer kit, I got 16k, um, 
that meant that like I'll be getting paid some, I'll be able to add in, like everything will be getting edited, I'll be able to get a developmental editor for bits of it. Um, I'll be able to get a bit more art in uh, and some more stuff around that. Like it expanded what I could do, but it's still not a huge amount after I pay for everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Like once everything's paid for, I'm not going to be making a huge amount of money off of that Kickstarter. Um, yeah. It'll be residuals that really pay me. Yeah, I'm looking at your um, uh, your also all of these links for what we're talking about, like the guns blazing, and then also Bashir's um itch io uh you know it, it, which has the guns blazing preview on it right the itch io uh, i believe so that really needs to get updated though i've been rewriting <laughs> be, that constantly it'll uh, be updated uh, by the time you listen to this hopefully <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i'm looking at your backer kit right now and i do want to talk about like backer kit and like what you managed to do so you funded um at the end of april um yep. have you noticed a good a return from like setting up your backer kit and setting up pre-orders. How are you handling that and how are you moving forward with that? Yeah, actually I've already raised like another 700 or so off of backer kit um, from like new people pre-ordering and from people grabbing add-ons that's been going pretty well. It's made organizing stuff much easier. Um, It's also like, they were also fairly flexible on like after the campaign finished, um, I learned from the pers- the company that was going to be providing shipping, like, hey, shipping rates have changed. We might not be able to guarantee the printing and shipping costs we promised you. Mm. Um, and so, like, they were, Backer Kit was on board for, like, yeah, okay, charging shipping fees at a later date, that's going to be fine, stuff like that. Yeah. They've been pretty helpful. Um, it's also, like, I've managed to host stuff on the store uh, pretty easily. It's been going pretty well. Like, Backer kits worked out fairly well for me for all of this stuff. Yeah. Have you uh, looked into doing like advertisement or any marketing for your pre-order and then like your future like sales and stuff like Um, that? So I did some advertising during the Kickstarter campaign. However, all of it had like unacceptable return on advertisement. So I just stopped doing like paid advertisement for this stuff. Um, My plan marketing for it is basically going to be showing the game around to people once it's farther along putting out the next playtest packet, demonstrating that to people, probably running some more demonstration games, trying it out at cons over the next year, that yeah. sort of thing. Have you tried building up a community uh, for people to play it and like run games in? Yeah, I've got, um, I have a Discord server for it where like I've run some test games over there. Some other people have tried out the quick start and stuff. Um, and ru- uh, some other people have tried out the quick start and played like, uh, uh, short sessions of it so like i'm slowly building up a community of people who can play the game i have um i'm hoping to like the next the, so the goal for the next playtest update is to have something i consider a complete game the first playtest update basically just has like combat mechanics basics the absolute basics for making character who can participate in the combat mechanics uh, and, like, a couple of pretty bare-bones enemies. The next update is going to add, like, really flesh out the narrative mechanics, uh, flesh out some more of the, like, games, uh, the cycle of play mechanics that are going into, like, the core gameplay loop of the game, uh, flesh out enemies and stuff like that. And so that's kind of when I'm going to be ramping up, trying to get people to play the game and listening community feedback and that sort of thing uh we also ran a like world building contest for the game on the sufficient velocity forums that went 
pretty well, where we like uh, got people to suggest their own, like create um, weird, like weird machines and vehicles in the setting, and like the winners got some art sent to them. That went pretty well. There's some really cool suggestions for that. Oh yeah, um, for for you doing uh, a ma- a majority of like the writing for this, it seems like. Um, oh, I should ask, how much of the writing are you doing? Um, so we're a- I'm aiming for a sixty thousand word book, like that's what I've budgeted out. I'm going to be doing about fifty to fifty five thousand words of that. Okay, okay, cool, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. You said fifty thousand. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm doing fifty to fifty-five thousand words of okay, that. Okay. I'm doing about ninety percent of the writing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm at like um, I'm scheduled for sixty percent of the writing mm-hmm. for Vineyard, um, and that's a necessity thing more than anything, like because it's just too expensive to, to hire people, um, as you as you know. Um, but yeah, uh, I for that reason I did want to uh, have people doing the villains um mm-hmm. so that it was like stuff that people could point to and like be very excited about and then um of course like writers hearing stories about their villains is like much more exciting than like a location or something like that for the most part i do have a couple of writers doing stuff like that but um for for you and like guns blazing what do you have the other guest writers doing um so most of the writers uh so they're are two goals for the freelancers I've brought in. The first is to cover, like, cultural uh, elements that I'm not qualified for. So, like, I've got a, uh, I've got an African-American writer writing about the Caribbean in the, like, in this alternate history. I've got um, a uh, Filipina writer writing about the Philippines in this period. Um, I got a couple of freelancers writing about, uh, Indian freelancers writing about India in the period. That is one I could fairly write about, like, I want, like, uh, and the other part is I wanted to give other new freelancers, like, relatively new freelancers, a shot at their, like, basically give new freelancers a shot at a job with credits and, like, mm-hmm. having their name passed around and stuff like that. And so, like, a co- uh, some of it is, some of the, uh, most of the freelancers are people who are fairly new to freelance writing in the field. And the goal is as much, like, here's a freelance job, here's how it will normally work, here's uh, a thing that you can kind of put your mark on and um, get some credits into something published, etc., etc. And so my goal is that those are basically the two things I'm trying to accomplish with freelancers simultaneously. Like, at least theoretically, I would be quite happy writing the entire book. Um, I do really enjoy writing, uh, especially like setting development and game design. Uh, Those are things I'm kind of all about. so uh, the so like this the free bringing on writers is more about things that I either am not qualified to do or would like to give other people a shot at. So I've got some people writing uh supernatural like enemies of various sorts or like other organizations that are in the setting uh stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um um for I was thinking about like and we're talking about like making ends meet and like most freelancers that I know myself included, um, have like someone within their sort of support system that is also helping pay bills. Um, and I was, and I was thinking about, uh, what I am like moving towards right now in which, um, I guess, spoiler alert, I didn't really say this explicitly, but some people who know me know this, but, um, our new project manager is Najia, who's my girlfriend. And, um, 
like moving in and like the partnership like i'm trying to move into like the um there's like there's there's game design couples that exist within this space and like some of them like really work and like uh for instance like banana chan and and uh their partner right um uh but i think it's like it's much easier i think as a small business owner to imagine whoever your uh partner is um is actually actively helping you with the business or like working together with you in the business because if you're i guess romantically partnered or you have a very close relationship with someone then obviously your finances are probably going to be tied together anyway um so that's been kind of something that I'm exploring as a more feasible way to manage the business because having her just have a different job and a completely different career and not being a part of it and just having me hire someone else to do something that she would probably just enjoy to do herself and be a part of the process i think it's the good play we'll see um well i i i told i told Nigia uh six months we're gonna give it six months end of december um if you like it if you like working with me and like this industry um and i'm having her do industry type stuff like i've assigned her storytelling collective stuff like she's gonna write an adventure she's gonna do you know a couple of things here and there um and then we'll we'll go from there and like no harm no foul like if by december like she's at her wits end and like you know she doesn't like it at all then we can you know we gave it a good shot but uh, I wouldn't know. Like, um, no, no one in my like personal support circle is really involved in uh, in this or is part of the projects that like I'm running. Um, that's just kind of not really a thing I I do. I it is unlikely to be a thing that I do. Uh, in my personal relationships, I think that like by and large, the people I know are not planning on getting into uh game design of this sort. Um. And then let's see. I think for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think for good reason. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. It's not a high-paying industry. I think there is like there is a lot more. Like if you have someone with a job that actually pays pretty well, it's probably bet like it's it's a lot safer a decision and a lot like less risky a decision for everyone involved that at least one of you has a job that will reliably be paying okay yeah um, yeah for sure yeah it's uh yeah i don't know um it's just something uh yeah it's something i'm exploring right now because i think um for for me it's uh part of it i think is really just what sort of lifestyle do we want to lead and for me i don't like the idea of being in the same home as my partner and then not being able to communicate with them about like 60% of my life. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's, that was, I think that was part of it. I'm not trying to convert you or anything or like get you to recruit a girlfriend um, or a boyfriend <laughs> or whatever um, to your, to your LLC. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking about it because we're talking about it. But mm -hmm. yeah, that that's, that's where my head's at because like, um, I would much prefer, I think, at least in theory and like m the way I imagine it is I would I would feel a lot better if um, someone who I want involved in my life in every aspect was also involved in my work. So um, we'll see how it goes. And if it's too much, it's too much. But um, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic right now. All right. Um, yeah, I 
would like to be able to talk with a potential partner about this, and I can talk with most of like my social circle about this, about well, like what I do, but uh, financial entanglements are like our <laughs> eggs in this particular basket feels unwise to me. Uh, probably not a step I would be taking. Uh, but, like, good luck with it. I hope it works out for you. <laughs> yeah, that was such a... <laughs> <laughs> I would never do something that wild, but good luck. <laughs> um, no, I get it. I get it. No, it's, so, it's totally fine. Um, right now, she's, uh, she's not quitting her uh, regular income job. She's... Uh, He's someone okay. who does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's there. <laughs> I was a little worried. I just didn't want. <laughs> no, she's she's doing the project management stuff on the side. It's a it's a part time gig, and then mm-hmm. you know, my I don't bring in enough money to support us both. Um, right. Especially since I'm going to be you know paying you know child support for my for my lovely children. Um, so it's like you know I at this point she's still uh, doing service industry type stuff. So. Um, which, you know, honestly, like I ain't hating on service industry. Like that shit, the tips are a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's the tips are a lot and they should be a lot for a number of reasons. But, um, so she's done like bartending and like coffee and stuff like that. And like, honestly, the, the money is too good to, to do something else. Um, but yeah, besides like, unless you get like certifications and you start doing like, you know, uh, scrum type stuff like project management, which maybe will get her to that point. But uh, the scrum certification is quite expensive. But you, you know what I mean? Like in order to like break in and get like a gig that would be better than that, we're talking about like having like some pretty high level um, certifications that would get you hired at a corporation. Because like right now she she pulls a lot of money just from just from tips um, mostly. And uh, the obviously the the minimum wage is not good, but the tips are great. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? There, there's some unfortunate things about the service industry that of course uh, would be better if she was not in the service industry um, because of uh, m- how men treat women uh, when they are alone. Um, but yeah. So let's talk about, let's pivot to talking about project management. You you mentioned to me, um, and I hope this isn't a secret, but I can cut it out if it is, uh, that you've been doing project management. Let's talk about that. What's your experience been like? Uh, that you can talk about? Sure. So project management for me has mostly been on um, small projects that, uh, so big ones, let's see, what are the ones I can talk about? So obviously for guns blazing, there's been a lot of like figuring out word count allocations, deadlines, managing freelancers, etc. for that, which has been like interesting. I didn't, I knew that there was going to be a lot of it when I started setting up the Kickstarter. I didn't realize exactly how much of it there was going to be, uh, especially for like a Kickstarter like this. You are the CEO and CFO of your company. You are the art director. You are this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you're the head marketing. You're like, well, actually hired Andrani for marketing for the most part. Um, like that was the one thing that I was like, I genuinely dislike doing this and I'm going to pay to outsource that elsewhere. But like for the most part, you're doing a lot. You're doing both project management and all the other executive functions for a project, which has been like a wild learning curve, but a rewarding one. And it's one that I'm enjoying the learning curve on so far for the most part. Um, There are a couple of other small projects where like I've like one of them, I've basically volunteered to help help, uh, some people I know 
uh, manage a like manage a project they're working on that they're trying to get funding for while they get funding for it. Um, I have made the questionable decision of volunteering to do this rather than getting paid to do this. But um, it's been fun working with them. I know they're in a place where, like, funding-wise, they wouldn't be able to get any sort of project management set up uh, <laughs> yet. Uh, so, like, I'm happy to do that on a grounds of, like, these are people I'm happy to help out and would like to see succeed, regardless of if I manage to get paid for it. But I would not recommend it to anyone else. Um, right. This is a thing I am privileged to be able to do because I don't need that money for rent or whatever. Um, I don't really need that money for bills. I'm doing well enough elsewhere that I can afford to burn uh, many hours of my time helping to get stuff organized and set deadlines and manage project scope. Um, I think that really is the biggest one is just managing nope. project scope because that, nope. um, yeah, especially like especially with creatives, creatives would really like to make every project the project of their dream. And yeah. someone has to be Debbie Downer and go, look, we're publishing a thing that can be done in five to ten hours. Yep. Anything beyond that needs to be caught for our sanity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that everyone can go home and sleep at some point this week. So no, we're you're not adding this to the project. We're keeping it at X words. Um we're like that's a sort of thing that doesn't get talked about much but is necessary or things can spiral out of control very quickly. Yeah, um for sure that's uh, that's always been my problem. Um <laughs> it was uh, it used to be it used to be M's job to uh, the M has like a, a an emoji uh, a spray bottle with the scope on it um, that she would just send me whenever I'd be like, oh, wouldn't this be great, Ev? Um, and yeah, so now that they've uh, uh, achieved the dream, they have a full time job in game design now. Um, nice. It, unfortunately, it's a non compete contract, so um, mm-hmm. they had to move off the project, and now. I have assigned that role of the scope squirter to my project manager, so <laughs> I I get sprayed with the scope bottle uh, pretty frequently. Um, yeah. So. Uh, for Guns Blazing, I have to be my own squirt bottle. So, like, the reason <laughs> all the in- the art for Guns Blazing is black and white and tends to be fairly simple, light on backgrounds, etc., that's a cost-saving measure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I had to budget under the assumption the game would get exactly $10,000 and anything above that would be out of my own pocket. And quarter pages, black and white, uh, ba- may or may not have a background. That is significantly cheaper than full art. Uh, yeah. That is significantly cheaper than color. That is significantly cheaper than, like, complicated scenes and backgrounds. So, like, I have to be pretty judicious about where I'm spending, like, where I'm willing to spend budget on more stuff there, where I'm willing to cut. Um, my original idea for the game is that, like, if you look at the cover of Guns Blazing, it is in a fa Mughal miniature style in full color, where, like, it's inspired by these old paintings of, like, that were often very squashed perspective and uh, really neat stylized figures, etc. Um, like, if you look up just Mughal miniature painting, you'll see a bunch of stuff in the style. And that was kind of what I was hoping for for the game, like, all the art in it. Um, like, the, you know, industry standard art every two to four pages, etc., etc. And then I started doing budgets and uh, doing all the project management and figuring out how long would it take, considering how long it took to get the cover done, even with, like, smaller pieces. And I turned around and I went, no. <laughs> 
This is yep. going to look like Band of Blades or even cheaper than Band of Blades for internal art. Uh, yeah. And, like, that looks good. I'm very happy with much of the art that's in the game that's getting made for the game right now. Uh, I think you can do some really cool stuff with black and white. Um, but that is a cut I had to consciously make. Um, yeah. The, like, uh, the onboarding, like, new creators and giving people their first contract. I was originally hoping to do a lot more of that, both for artists and writers. And then, you know, I started doing my budgeting and it was like, okay, I can spend, like, 10% of the budget on this. And anything beyond that, I am making a extremely questionable decision. Stuff like that. Yeah, uh, that's that's uh, one of the decisions we had to make for Vineyard as well. Um, we have our spot art, which is going to be um, the Renaissance-style sketches rather than uh, full-color illustrations. We would love to have full-color illustrations for everything. But because of the rate that we're paying, um, it's just not possible to do that, for, especially because we didn't raise, like, $200,000. Like, I remember someone did... Um, Someone did like the, and someone else did this, but um, there was like, there's a book that um, if you, uh, it's a core book and it's 600 pages. And if you uh, took like the art budget of like what we spent on art in Vineyard and you applied it to that book, that art costs uh, $200,000 just for the art. And um, so if you like retroactively bring it back down to where we're at with our art, our art's still going to be about $35,000 um, altogether for just the stuff that's going in Vineyard. Um, and that's, you know, the 10 villain portraits. Um, that's about 7 to 10 big, wide environmental stuff um, that's more complex. And then we have um, spot art and things like that. And we have creatures, of course, that we need. But um, choosing, uh, Elaine choosing to do um, Renaissance spot art and sort of shifting our style towards that... I think was a really good choice because it can still look good. It doesn't take the artist very long. Um, it's meant to be a little sloppy. It's meant to only be one or two hours of work and it's a hundred or $200. And like, that's way better than um, for my budget, at least um, than paying, you know, $800 for every one of those things. I'd ra much rather cut costs that way to where we can still make it look good. still be within the style, still look kind of, you know, it within like the tone and the theme um, and everybody wins, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like, if you can manage the project well, it's not going to be the huge... Like, you're getting a more realistic appraisal of what you can do and what everyone's going to get out of it. And that's honestly much better than over-promising and then going in and going, actually, we ran out of money here, so sorry. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Um, for project management and, like, approaching scheduling and everything like that what are your uh what are your so what software do you use in order to organize that sort of thing on your end i'm just using google docs <laughs> are you selling okay. out for anything proprietary i just have really elaborate spreadsheets <laughs> damn damn um yeah that's uh i think um i think we're gonna get nagia on uh uh what was the one she took notion notion mm -hmm. yeah um she just took a course for notion and we're gonna start doing notion but um yeah that's honestly what lila was doing um and did a really good job of it but also lila used to work at google so i mean like that that makes <laughs> sense for them i guess um but uh yeah so 
Um, that's, yeah, guess, for me, it was more like I started doing organizing on like on like with spreadsheets, like that's where I did my first budgets in, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do the project management in earnest, I looked at, okay, this is what it's going to take to learn a new program, or I can just keep using what I've got and make it more elaborate. Yeah. And uh, very quickly, uh, with like, as things got busier setting up the Kickstarter and everything, I realized I was going to be better served for this project just using what I knew how to do well. Yeah, and there's, you know, that's a, going back full circle to Microsoft Word for layout. I mean, like, if you know how to do it, then you know how to do it. Um, that's the that's the way that you've learned and you've you, it's going to save you time as opposed to just like beating your head against a, a wall on learning a new program. Um, yeah, your time is pretty valuable, I think, especially as a freelancer. So um, being strategic about how you spend your time um, for you and your routine. And like, I just want to briefly talk about, not necessarily briefly, but I do want to hit um, your sort of routine as a freelancer. How do you get into the writing mode? How do you schedule things for yourself? Like, what is your process for writing? I handle this as a desk job, basically. Like, if I'm going in, I make sure I'm up on my beds, I have my morning routine, I go eat breakfast, um, and come back in, sunglasses on, and start writing. I've got, um, I have glasses that I'm supposed to wear for using, like, screens for really prolonged periods of time. Due to a mix-up when I got my prescription filled, I have two pairs of sunglasses aviators because they, um, doubled the sunglasses I asked for rather than giving me a pair of regular glasses. So I look like a weirdo while writing. And that is the transition into I am writing for a solid portion of the next eight hours. Um, The biggest thing that I found helpful is outlining pretty aggressively, like what are the word counts and beats I need to hit in this writing? Um, I am increasingly of the opinion that writer's block doesn't actually exist. It's a planning issue. Um, and if I have planned out what I'm trying to write and what is meant to be on the page here, uh, writer's block should not be an actual problem. Uh, if not, if I'm running into something that I can't write, I might be having an executive functioning issue or something, but that is a thing that is not writer's block. That is its own problem that either can be dealt with or can't be. And like, if you have something where you cannot reasonably deal with it over the course of a day, you might have to do something else with your day. You might need to be doing research today. You might be doing uh, looking for gigs today. You might be doing uh, some of your consulting work for the week today, etc. But you have to be doing something. Something productive that eventually you need to do anyway. Yeah, that's one mm-hmm. of the things that um, definitely for uh, me shifting my schedule around and figuring out like now that I'm full-time work from home between being a pro GM and like freelancing and doing this, um, it really, you are your own boss in a lot of ways, which is great and also terrible because um, it's, I don't know, it's, it can be tough to set aside the time and actually get things done if you're not having someone else tell you to do something, um, which is why for me, I always uh, re- really benefit from Pomodoro. Um, and I've started doing that technique. Um, do you have any specific writing techniques other than just get, sit down and jam? Uh, I outline aggressively, but that's really it. I don't use like Pomodoro or anything. Um, I've got like, I have, so I have pretty rough ADD. Uh, and the downside of that is it can be hard to start. Um, I've got meds for it and the like, but like stuff, 
a lot of methods that have worked well for other people do not work well for me. But the flip side of it is, if I can start hyper-focusing on writing, I will be hyper-focused on writing for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so the trick, like most of my tricks, like outlining, setting up my schedule early in the morning, etc., that exists to try and um, get that going like get that going as quickly and smoothly as possible basically yeah before you start focusing on other stuff yeah that makes total sense yeah yeah i i'm i'm uh so i'm i'm neurodivergent myself and um i i'm unmedicated for it so it's it's kind of um it can be really tough and i've just built essentially a structure around my schedule or my my methods essentially like my rituals i should say um, in order to get myself writing uh, in, on time and meeting deadlines and things like that. And it can take a long time to sort of develop that, but everyone has their rituals. And that's part, I think that's part of like developing as a professional, like what rituals do you need to commit to in order to get things done? Mm-hmm. And having stuff like medication can help a lot of people. So that's good. Um, but yeah, I think we are, I think this is a good place to to close this out, Bashir. Um, All right. We're gonna. So we have uh, links to Bashir's stuff uh, in the in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to pre-order uh, Guns Blazing, you can do so. Please do so. And did you have anything that you wanted to talk about that you have coming out soon that we can also link besides that? I mean, Guns Blazing is the big one. <laughs> uh, uh, if you're interested, if you're interested in Guns Blazing, a um kind of anti-colonial pulp RPG about being freedom fighters and the like in an alternate version of the 1920s. Um, that, like, you can check that out Kickstarter on Kickstarter. That'll take you to the backer kit uh, preview page where you can pre-order the game. Um, right? Let's see. Where is the pre-order? Yeah, there's a pre-order link on the Kickstarter page. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the big one. You can follow me on Twitter at Bashir Gauss until it collapses. Uh, you can follow me most other social media. I will be either be at Bashir Gauss or at Havoc Fett. Um, and yeah, that's that's me. All right. Thank you so much. Hi, thanks for listening. If you want to support me, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash isfriday. Or you can find some of the work that I'm doing at vineyardrpg.com if you want to pre-order the book that we made. Thanks.